Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Amy. I miss you. <laughs> All right. Well, we are uh, continuing our series um, called uh, Wild Night because in the holiday season, things are absolutely wild, right? Even like what I was talking about, Bentleyville, and you just, you, it was like gridlock. It's insane, but it's also wonderful. And uh, when we uh, treat the Bible as like, oh, the Bible's so simple, it's so clear. Chris, if only you would just read it, then maybe you would, like, become a real Christian. You know, that's been said to me a couple, 13, 14 times, right? When we treat the Bible like with kid gloves, we do it uh, injustice. Because the Bible was written in uh, an absolutely wild season of the the time when they wrote it, from being in exile, of being under oppression, of being marginalized. And they're writing these letters informing uh, its readers of, like, this is how we engage with God. This is our lived experience with God. And we're supposed to read it and then apply it to our life now in our own wildness, in our own grief, in our own joy, in our own pain. Um, And so the Bible should really inform to us in our life. It's what I love about the Bible is that it's messy, it's complicated, and it's absolutely wild. And today, uh, I have, uh, I think it's one of my more clever names or titles for a sermon. It's called The Anxious Broseph Joseph. You're welcome. All right, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about um, uh, Joseph. And Joseph doesn't get a lot of um, love, right? I, I, Joseph in the Christmas story is like, if you're walking by like a candle store in the mall or like a lotion store, there's like usually like two or three older guys sitting on the bench right outside of it, kind of like doing this, and they're like, I'm not going in a candle store, I'm a real man, right? I don't want no lotion. And so they just like hold their wife's purse and just sit there, right? That's Joseph. He's just along for the ride, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't even like, um, does he talk? I don't think he talks. Like, people talk to Joseph, but Joseph doesn't even respond. He doesn't get a lot of, a lot of love. But there's a part in Matthew um, that I find fascinating because it talks about his anxiety or his fear. And I bring up um, often on the microphone um, that I'm an anxious person um, because I think mental health matters, right? And the church hasn't done, like, a historically great job about mental health or even addiction or a lot of things. Away, uh, and the more I can normalize it and tell people that uh, the, about medication and therapy, there's been a lot of people like, "Oh, I've never thought about going to see a therapist." I've, pre- yeah, we're happy for you. So, um, but anxiety is 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 real. It is it is baked into our culture because where anxiety uh, c- can come from is this idea of, "Well, I need to be perfect." I, I should weigh the same when I was 21 of when I was 43, right? And culture says, of course you can. And my body says, no, 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 you can't, right? Uh, or it's like, oh, I should be making this much money. I should be, have this much fun with my friends. And every night should be like prom night, right? You have these, these pressures. Or when an opportunity comes where you have to make a decision, and it might impact your finances. It might impact your mental health or your physical health or the relationship with your family. And if you're anything like me, the anxiety comes, like, what if I don't get it right? And not even, what if I don't get it right? It's what if I get it so wrong and so bad that my, I don't have friends 
or I go to jail or <laughs> whatever it might be. Then anxiety can take over. But as someone who's anxious, I love hearing other people's like um, ticks when it comes to anxiety. Um, when I was listening to a podcast and this lady was talking on um, in her social anxiety, she'd be walking to a store and then we're like, what if I run into that person? And then she just, she goes, and I just begin to sweat, just like disgustingly gross amount of sweat. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> right? I was working on um, my homework and I like working on homework like in loud, busy places. I've always been that way. And so I was at the, the Boreal house and I, I'm typing on my computer, I'm standing up and someone goes, Chris, is that you? Sweat. <laughs> It was just like instant. And I turn around and it's these six ladies that um that I know, right? I like we've talked several times and they said, you know, I recognize you from behind. And I'm like, that's an awkward way to start a conversation, right? I recognize you from your behind. So um that's how I heard it. And uh I got anxious because like I have to be cool, is what I in my head. I'm like, I have to be cool. Does anyone else feel the pressure? Because it's like I'm a huge nerd. And I'm really awkward, but I have to pretend that I'm not awkward. And when you try acting non-awkward, awkwardness wins every time, right? There's 100% of the time. And I don't remember two of the ladies' names, and they've told me their names multiple times. And so I'm doing like, hey, you, yeah. <laughs> Making weird hand gestures. Um, and the other one uh, was uh, I was talking to someone, and they're like, yeah, when I'm trying to go to sleep, I have a song that just runs in my head over and over and over again. Is there anyone else that does that? Just me? Okay, that's right. So, um, I, and I'm like, you do that? They're like, yeah, is that okay? I'm like, I do that too. I didn't know that was an anxious thing. And right now the song that I, um, I don't sing it out loud, I say it in my head, is uh, Boy Genius, which is a great band. Um, and it helps soothe me. And so, like, the more that I can, like, feel normal in my anxiety, right, like, I'm like, oh, I'm actually included. I'm not excluded because I can be anxious. Actually, it's just part of who I am. And I think it's really important to be able to um, not just normalize, but be able to name of what it is that you're feeling. And the good thing is, is, like, the Bible is full of anxious people, right? It's full of anxious people stories over and over again, which, again, like I started, like, is good because the Bible is now speaking to real life. And where we see anxiety today in the Christmas story is uh, Broseph Joseph, which I love calling him that. And we're reading out of Matthew uh, chapter 1, if you'd like to follow along. Matthew 1, 18. This is how the truth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, his mother Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Right? Maybe what stuck out to you in that reading is like, hey, Jesus is going to save the whole world from their sins. That's a big one. You might want to circle that one, highlight it, put a little heart next to it. Uh, but for me, the part that stood out was Joseph quietly getting a divorce, right? Like that is, like of all the things that the authors could leave in the story, why that? And it's really, really important. Because this is the Christmas story. 
And in Matthew, uh, Matthew's telling the story of how Jesus, the announcement of Jesus came through Joseph. In Luke, what we read um, last week, is um, God is announcing to the world of, of, of liberation, of transformation through Mary. Mary, an angel talks to Mary. She responds in a song, this beautiful song about dismantling systems and the people who've been left out to bring them in. It's moving. It's inspiring. So you have like a beautiful song. And then in Matthew, you have Joseph looking up divorce lawyers. And you can't make a song out of divorce and Christmas, right? You know what? We should try. That it would be, <laughs> that'd be like, welcome world, here's a song about divorce and Christmas. So, um, all right, but the reason that it's important for the Christmas, uh, Christmas story is because it's telling a bigger story, right? In this, in this context, and historically, um, uh, Joseph finds out, he loves Mary, he, they're going to get married, and she comes to him and says, hey, I love you, Broseph Joseph, but I got one thing to tell you. I got knocked up by God, all right? So it's a thing, apparently. I had never heard about it before. I, I'm also new to this. I'm also having some feels. Um, and Joseph has to make a decision because in this culture, your last name, like your, who your family is, is your currency. It is how you can move uh, in social circles. It's how you have upward mobility. It is how you have believability. It's how you have access to different circles, different communities. And so if you brought shame, and like your fiance or the person you're engaged to being pregnant, and it's not, I mean, that would be problematic enough as it is. But then by someone else, and maybe God, right? Uh, people may believe it, they might not believe it. It's still problematic because think about it. He's gonna have to show up to every, well, Christmas party. Yeah, why not? He's gonna have to show up to every Christmas party, every work party, anytime like family reunion. And he's going to say, guys, can you just lay off the whole Mary, God, pregnant thing, all right? <laughs> right? He's going to have to defend himself over and over and over again. Then he's going to have this kid, and that kid at some point is going to come back from school and say, do I even get to call you dad anymore? And he's like, who told you, right? Yeah, he's going to have to hear the rumors about his kid, the rumors about his wife, the rumors about who he is and the mistakes he's made, right? That's going to be very, very problematic. And if you've ever had to make a decision, you usually start with what? You, do I win in this situation? Do I benefit from that friendship? Do I benefit if I volunteer at that uh, event? If I show up to my kid's Christmas concert, do I win, right? It's where most of us start because we're big fans of us. And Joseph is no exception. He starts thinking through what is this going to cost me? And in fact, the reason that they say that he um, was gonna divorce her quietly, some scholars believe that he was trying to delay the inevitable. At some point, Mary is going to uh, show that she's pregnant, and in that culture, that, again, is problematic. Um, uh, and, and being engaged is, is different um, back then. It was because if Joseph died when they're engaged, Mary would be considered a widow, right? And with the widow becomes a, a, social, a social identity. There's different expectations. There's different limitations. Um, and imagine this. In that time, uh, the women couldn't divorce the men, so Mary could have been like, hey, bros of Joseph, big fan of you, but me, me and God got this. Um, but all the man had to do was to go to two witnesses and say, hey, Mary got impregnated, right? And um, he, he didn't have to bring up the God thing. And if two men believed him, they could go to local authority, and the local authority would say, yeah, you're divorced. And guess who benefits from that? Not Mary, right? Because now she's a divorced woman. Well, Joseph is just bros of Joseph and gets to keep going on. 
So he has all the access to the power. He has everything to gain by this, by divorcing her, and to avoid the shame. And even, like, delaying it to, like, delay the inevitable would have been, some people say, well, that's really kind. And even Matthew suggests because he's a man of the law and he's really kind, by, by um, divorcing Mary at some point, and in that time, for being an adulterer, you could be stoned to death. So there's a lot more going on than when we just know the end of the story and we're like, oh, Joseph. You know, Joseph's just like a toxic male, just like, I don't get what I want. I'm taking my ball and go home. And we're like, ha, 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 dumb men, right? There's actual real-life implications of what Joseph is about to do. But instead of doing it, he does what? He takes a nap, which is probably good advice, right? Like, before you make a big life decision, you might want to, like, sleep on it for a little bit. And in this dream... An angel speaks to him, and the angel says, do not be afraid, which is like um, a very uh, common expression for angels, right? So when the angels show up to the shepherds, uh, they say, don't be afraid. Why? Because they were probably like sitting there playing cards out of nowhere, like it went from zero to a thousand angels everywhere. You would have some response to that, like, don't be afraid. Uh, and then they do it to Mary, because Mary is like, you know, eating some soup she got from the deli, watching Seinfeld, and all of a sudden, like, an angel pops up. And he's like, oh, he should warn me. And they're like, don't be afraid. And here the angel does the same thing in a dream. Don't be afraid. But this one's different. Because it says, don't be afraid of taking Mary to be your wife. And this is critically important. Because what God is doing is God is like the, the Emmanuel, God with us in the person of Jesus. This is an Emmanuel moment of of, of God coming and seeing Joseph exactly in the state that he's in. God sees, you're afraid, and I'm going to name the fear. Oh, you're afraid of taking Mary as your wife. God, like, validates that pain. He validates that fear, and he speaks right to it, which is so different than how maybe a lot of us think about God. Me, I, I, uh, I expect God to be like... Uh, what was his name? Mr. Vessel, like my ninth grade football coach, right? He was a, Katie, do you remember Vessel, right? He was a, a very kind man, but on the football field, he'd get like all veiny, right? And he'd like veins all over his head, and he like wouldn't breathe. And he'd be like, oh, I hate you, play better. Right? That's like spitting in your face. That's how I expect God to be when I feel anxious. Actually, it's how I, it's how I expect people who love me to be as well of like, try harder, be better, stop being awkward, stop sweating, right? And instead, God does what? God sits with Joseph and speaks exactly to the condition, which I love, because in um, this idea called process theology, uh, which, which just essentially means that uh, I believe that God is in every element in all things, but in process theology, I also believe that God can't force things on people. God can't just like... Um, like, stop a mudslide. God can't uh, make me, like, worship God, right? But what God does is God can, like, nudge us. God can prompt us. God can inspire us. God can move us to move towards divine love. And I thought about this in this story because why God is giving still Joseph an option. He doesn't say, you will marry Mary, and you will be the father of Jesus. He says, you don't need to be afraid anymore, man, which is very, very different. Because when you can isolate what you're afraid of, when you can name the fear, then you can see everything else. And being able to identify what you're afraid of, which causes the anxiety, 
for me was a game changer. Story. Uh, seventh grade, first day of school, and um, I'm in social studies, and I have um, Dave Rosen, Mr. Rosen, as my teacher. And, uh, I, I, uh, and I go to the back of the class, and I sit down, and behind me, <laughs> Katie, you're going to know all these people. This is great. Uh, Katie and I both went to Carleton, the greatest school. It's kind of like the Harvard of Minnesota. So um, that's what everyone else calls it, not us. Um, and I'm telling the story. And I'm in the back of the classroom, and behind me is Jenna Welly, and she's talking to Jennifer McBride. And ladies, if you're watching, I, you're going to love me bringing this up. So um, Jenna is catching Jennifer up on what happened this summer, and I'm just listening, right? And she goes, hey, this summer, this crazy thing happened to me. I was on the pontoon, and our family's other pontoon was coming slowly, and I was told to grab the boat to stop it, but my hand slipped and got between the boats, and it, like, partially severed off my finger. And have you guys ever seen uh, the, the um, comic book character, The Flash? You know, he moves really fast, and how he can move so fast, time stops, but he can move normal, and he can, like, go and grab, like, the bullet and, like, move it over here so it goes into, like, like a pillow or something like that, and then he can take the cup of coffee, sip it, and put it back, but, and then all of a sudden he's back to normal, and everything goes. This was me. Time stops. And it's like, I, the, the heavens that open up, I'm like, what can I say to impress Jenna Willie? Because I wanted to be friends with Jenna Willie. I wanted to be friendly with Jenna Willie, right? And I have like, I, 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 my heart's racing, and I can remember this. I, I've had two concussions, so there's things I don't remember. I remember this, like I could paint a picture of the light, of where Dave Rosen is, the smell, and I'm sitting there like, my brain's like, what can I say? And finally, I'm like, I have to make an impression because I was not cool. Jenna was cool. I was not. I had a, like a weird afro and a lot of freckles, and I still liked G.I. Joes, but I didn't want to tell anyone because I knew that wouldn't get me to be friends with Jenna Willie. And I liked skateboarding, and I was like, like junior high, I was just like still trying to find myself. Um, and so I decide, and I, of all the things I could have said, I could have said, you know, to turn around and say, hey, Jenna, shh, shh, shh. I hear that pain. I feel it right here, Jenna, right here. I feel it, right? Like right here. And I see you, and I validate you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you ever need like a hug, I'm here for you, right? If you ever need like a really, really long hug, I got that, right? I got that, right? Believe in you, believe in you, right? I could have said that. I did not. Instead, I chose this. Turned around. I looked her right in the eyes. And I said, you know what I would have done? I would have bit my finger off and spit in the lake and kept on going. I know. And their response was like I just said, I'd bite my finger off and spit it in the lake and keep going, which I did, which the response was 100% accurate, right? And why did I do that, right? Because, and I, didn't, I couldn't name it then, but through a lot of therapy now, right? 13-year-old 13 13 Chris just wanted to be old Chris, there we go. 13-year-old Chris just wanted to be loved. 13-year-old Chris just wanted to be accepted, and I was afraid that I would never be cool. I was afraid no one would, would ever want to be my friend. I often felt like I would, um, whew, I'm having some feels with this. I often felt like I was just, like, tolerated. I was always just, like, the fifth option. Like, people invite me over because they called four other people, and they said, no, like, fine, I'll call Sodder, right? And because of that fear, I had anxiety of trying to impress people, 
I, I thought I had to be cool. In this same classroom, a little, like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling this story. Like, two weeks later, I got up to go to the front of the desk, and as I'm walking, I realized I don't walk cool. And I, I like, I'm walking, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I start doing this, because I'm thinking, oh, I can't believe I remember that. And I remember Dan Jones said, like, Chris, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I come, man. Right? So when you have that, like, that is a legitimate fear that I had. I had a need, and I just wanted to be loved. And the way that it came out was in very awkward, anxious ways. And 43-year-old Chris looks at 13-year-old Chris, and we're very different. But we still both carry that same need, that I just want to be loved. And when I get anxious, like that story of like I'm just the fifth best still comes out in my life. That the feeling of people don't really want to be around me still pops up, and I still say awkward things, and I do get anxious. But now, through medication and uh, therapy, I've been able to name it. It's true. I do want to be loved. I've been able to see it. I can isolate, and I can work through my anxiety. I have, I have the, the, the skills to work through it. And you know, like, that's, like, that's a lot of work that I've done. And I can get through it faster than I did five years ago, right? But I still have to get through it. But once I can name it, I can look at everything else. And I'm like, oh, I was afraid. What's the opposite of fear? Hope. And here what God does is isolates and speaks and validates the fear of Joseph. You don't have to be afraid of marrying, taking Mary as your wife. When Joseph wakes up, I can imagine he's like, I don't have to be afraid. I am afraid. I don't have to be afraid. Instead, what can he do? He could look at all the other things he loves about Mary. He could begin to dream about, maybe I could be the father of this kid. And if the angel's, like, correct, this would be one dope kid. And I could have front row seats to whoever this Jesus is saving the sins of all mankind. I get to be a part of that story. For me, once I recognize my anxiety, I recognize my fear, I can actually look at everything else in my life and say, I'm not fifth best to my partner. She loves me. And there's a lot of people in this town that might call me the fifth or 13th or last place pastor in town. That's fine. I have an ama- we have an amazing community. We have an amazing church. We are doing incredibly powerful, liberating things every single day. We get to do that together. And I've never been more proud to be the pastor of this church. My kids love me, and I love them. <laughs> right? I have amazing friends. I have amazing family. And when I can, I, when I can live in that place... Both things can be true. I can be anxious, and I can have legitimate fears, but I also can step into the beautiful, wide-open spaces of being so deeply loved. So let me just pause and be on record and say, I am not any way implying of, hey, if you have anxiousness, if you have anxiety or depression, just try harder. Just say, I have anxiety and everything's okay. Then you can just walk around and say, I'm happy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm only able to do that when I, hopefully minutes, hours, or sometimes days, I'm in that spinning, I'm in that fog. And once I can get out of that through the tools that I've learned from my therapist, that's when I can name it and I can see it. So I'm not, I'm not here telling you because you're anxious or depressed or whatever you have, like you're just not trying hard enough. You're surviving and you made it here today and you are a miracle. Right? But once you can get to that space and see the hope, then the words of Jesus can be true. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount 
He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Like, it's going to be a mess tomorrow too. <laughs> just, just honestly, that's the, way I, that's the way I hear it. It's like tomorrow has its own worries. It's like, yeah, dumpster fire today, dumpster fire tomorrow. Right? But what does he say? He goes, but seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added onto you. Which is not say, like, seek first the kingdom of God, and you'll be happy and smile all the time. What Jesus is inviting us into by seeking the kingdom of God first. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is like um, God's best embodied. It's like God's best. It's like heaven being displayed right in front of you. And what is heaven? Heaven is not just on the clouds playing harps, not golden streets. Heaven is embodying love. That's what heaven is. That's when I see my little dog, Chance, and because Nikki's not at home, he loves me first, right? And he runs on me, hops in my lap, he licks my face, and I feel love. That's heaven. That's the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, it's lead with love. Move with love. Be inspired by love. Like, extend love. Embody love. And when you choose to move in that, he said, everything else will fall into place. Meaning, it's not always going to be good, it's not always going to be bad, but at least you are in this space of love knowing that I'm enough, that love is enough. So, I have two things, and then I close. My invitation to you is first, can you name your fear? Can you name your fear? And uh, there's many different ways of going about it. Um, For me, being in therapy and being able to talk about trauma and being able to talk about junior high and moving beyond, like, the they are, they are really funny stories, but behind the funny stories, there's, there's trauma, right? And having to sit with my therapist, and he had me in this exercise where um, I, I shared everything, and he's like, all right, so... He's like, we're starting now, and I just bawled, because I actually had to actualize. I had to name and, 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 and think through and process what would I want, what do I wish future Chris would have told me at 13, right? So instead of funny story, it was saying, you're an amazing person. You can do, oh, yeah. I, imagine that for the first time. I cried for like a half hour. I'm like, I'm paying you to watch me sob. He's like, yeah, I still get, as long as the check clears, right? Um, and, and so if, if you feel that you're anxious or you feel that you're having some feelings, are you able to actually name what you are afraid of? And therapy could be a great, great uh, place to start. And secondly is this. I hope this, this holiday season that you can experience hope. And hope not just in someday it's going to be better, right? Hope isn't just like always dreaming in the future. Hope is there is something available to me now. And that this good and beautiful God is available to me now. And I can embody in it. I can awaken it. I can receive it. And I can move in it. And my prayer is that you can have that same reality. So let's pray. So God, I thank you that I am more than a cool walker or an awkward walker. (laughs) And I thank you that I am more than my anxiety. It is a part of who I am. But I am so much more than that. So thank you for my friends here today. People who are listening or watching. Thank you that... There's more people invited to that table. And help us be able to see and recognize and celebrate the beautiful things in our life. 
And even now, you help us be able to seek first the kingdom of God, that we will, we will receive that love, we will embody that love. It's the water that we swim in. And everywhere we go, nothing can rob me of that love. So be with us and go with us. We love you. Amen. All right. Well, friends, thank you for being in this story. If you want to practice walking cool with me, you can come up here. If you have questions, um, if you have questions or you want to process, and even if you're watching or listening and you're like, I don't know where to start with therapy, if you don't have insurance, there's many clinics that will work with you, um, and we have those resources, so you can contact us and we can help you get set up. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, and hopefully see you tonight for Blue Christmas.